2 Kings chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, we're going to come back to our study of Elisha, character study today at 2 Kings chapter 4. And um, it seems like the last few messages that I've, um, I've preached, I've done a lot of reading Scripture, but I don't think you can go wrong reading Scripture. So we're going to read a pretty sizable portion of 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 8 this morning and down through verse number 37. And I'm not sure I'm going to take every one of these miracles that Elisha um, performed and preach a message on each one individually, but there's some good stuff hidden in these passages of Scripture um, that are that just the story itself, I think, will help us recall some biblical truths. It's almost like the parables of the New Testament. We remember the parables and, um, and, the, and the spiritual truths that they teach come out of, of those, and we can remember these Old Testament stories and the spiritual applications there. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. It fell on the day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, This is Elisha. Apparently the lady spoke a different language. And this is Elisha asking his servant to translate this message to her. Uh, he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, he stood before her. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for and he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on the day that he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is, it is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came into the man of God to Mount Carmel, and it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that, she said to, that he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? 
And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thine hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not, and if any salute thee, answer him not again, and lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awaked. And when Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched, him, stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she had come in unto him, he said, Take up thy child. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. <clears throat> I don't mind telling you, I've read this story more times this week. <laughs> I've read it over and over and over, and I was not sure what to do with this story. Um, I read it in King James over and over, and I read it in several other translations at different times, and I was just about ready just to move on from it um, and, and not, try to, not try to pull anything from this text. I was not getting anything from the text that I thought was of any kind of spiritual value to us. I didn't know how to apply it. I mean, it's a, very, it's a cool story. Um, there's a lot of details in the story that I'm still not sure what they mean, but I just did not know how it fit and what we are supposed to glean from it. And so um, I, I kept coming back to it, and, and every time I read it, that the one phrase that kept jumping off the page at me and standing out in my heart and standing out in my mind um, is that at a very catastrophic time in this lady's life, um, the death of not just a son but her only son, um, she said, it is well. And that every time I read through that passage of scripture, that is what come off of the page at me. When her husband asked, "Why do you want?" She didn't even tell her husband about what had happened to the son. Um, he had, he obviously knew that the son was sick because he sent him home to his mom. But when when his when his husband said, "I don't understand why you're going to the man of God today. This is not a worship day. We're 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 in the fields laboring. This is not a day to go to worship. What do you want to go uh, to the man of God for?" And she said, "It shall be well." And then when Elisha sent word out to see what her problem was, to see if everything was okay with her, with her husband, with the child, she said, it is well. And, and y'all know my favorite song is It Is Well With My Soul. Um, that'll be one song that we'll, that I've, I've already said. Brother, I was pleased to, that Brother Bill chose the same song at his funeral. We got a good choice in songs. It is well with my soul. But when I saw, every time I read that, I thought about that hymn. And made me, it made me wonder whether 
or not the writer of the hymn, Horatio Spafford, actually got the title of his hymn from this text. I don't know anywhere else that it's used in such a tragic situation um, than, than this text that we read this morning. And if you don't know the story of Horatio Pafford, um, not, not to get long and drawn out in it, but he wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And um, sometime around 1870, he had a son. He had one son and four daughters. And um, somewhere around 1870, his son died of scarlet fever. He was an attorney and a businessman in Chicago, very well known, very well respected. In fact, I, some of the history that I read behind him said he entertained some of the most famous pastors uh, in his home, D.L. Moody and, and the likes. And, um, and so he was a, a devout Christian, a successful businessman and an attorney. He lost a son in 1870. In 1871, in the great Chicago fire, his, his, some of his businesses burned to the ground. His office burned to the ground. He found himself in a, in a, in a great deal of financial difficulty. And, um, and, and um, he helped people pull things back together after the fire and decided that um, before he could get his own life back together that they just needed to take a family vacation. So he sent his wife and four daughters. Um, he had to stay behind to take care of some other business, but he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England for a, for a vacation, and he was going to join them um, sometime later. They were going back overseas to visit family members. And so um, b before that ship ever made it to England, a, an, iron, an iron sailing vessel ship rammed them and, um, and sunk the ship that his wife and his four daughters were on. And all four of his daughters drowned and none of their bodies were ever found. I think one was 11, one was 9, one was 4, and one was 2. Um, his wife was found barely alive floating on a plank of wood. When, she got, when they got her to England, um, she sent him um, a single telegraph that says, Saved Alone. Saved alone. And now he had heard about the shipwreck. He had, he had known that that was what his family was on. He did not know whether any of them had survived until his wife sent him that text. And so he got on the next ship to go meet with his wife. And um, when they got to that place where, um, where his wife and his daughter's ship were sunk, the captain called him to the front and said, this is the, according to the, accord, the coordinates that I've been given, this is the approximate place where, um, where that ship went down and where your daughters were lost. And um, the ocean there, they say, is about three miles deep. But he said as he looked over the, bow, uh, over the side of that boat at that dark water, um, that he had a peace that overcame him that just assured him they're not there. They're safe at home. And so he said he went back to his cabin and the words just flowed from his pen. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Now, when I thought about that story of Horatio Pafford and wondered if he got his, the title of his hymn from this particular text in Scripture, with, that, with, with Horatio Spafford's remarkable display of faith in my mind, I went back to the story and read the story of the Shunammite woman again. This time, um, I think the Holy Spirit helped open my eyes to some things that I had not seen as I read it before, which was her own remarkable display of faith that came shining through the story. So I just started jotting down some notes as I read through the story 
and um, they actually alliterated themselves very easily. Um, but there are there are um, seven phases or stages or levels or types of remarkable faith that I think we can see in this Shunammite woman. And the first is just a serving faith. Just a serving faith. She understood that Elisha had a ministry, that he had been assigned by God, that he was a man of God, and, and that when he passed through their city, she had an opportunity. And I don't think she saw it just as an opportunity. I think she saw it as a responsibility um, to serve him. Now, the Bible called her um, a, a great woman. If you look that word up, it, it just means that either she was a notable, that she was well-known, or that she was wealthy. Um, and, and maybe wealthy and well-known. She was a great woman in the sense that she had the means to take care of the needs that Elisha might have. Um, so, so she was not just hospitable. She, she fed him a couple of times and then uh, told her husband, when he passes through here, he comes through frequently, and we need to set aside a space in our home for him to come and rest himself. So, so she had a faith that was, that was actively willing and ready to be abundantly hospitable to Elisha and Gehazi um, because I think that she knew that he was a man of God and, that, and this is what the Bible tells us in the New Testament that we do what we do as unto the Lord um, that when we serve the servants of the Lord we serve the Lord himself um, and so she understood that he was a man of God that he had a ministry and a message that came from God and so her, in her support of him in her service to Elisha she knew that she was serving God she knew that she was serving the ministry of the word of God um, as he went forth and proclaimed it his ministry was important to her it reminded me of the passage in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 and I know the argument in that passage is about um, people that are they're trying to keep the law but that there's a phrase at the end of verse 6 um, that says the only thing that matters um, the, the only thing that makes a real difference in the life of a Christian is when we have faith which works by love when we have a faith that is manifesting itself in love for God and in love for people. And if you love God and you love the, the people of God and you, you love God and you love the ministry and the message that God has given, then you by love serve those people. Um, Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 and 10 uh, says that we ought not to be uh, weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if, reap if we faint not. And then the 10th verse says um, that as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men and especially unto them who are of the household of faith. She, she had a serving faith. She loved God. She loved God's man. She loved God's ministry. And her faith compelled her to serve. Now there's another, there's another little hint at this that I think she was a godly woman already before um, she ever met Elisha. And that is um, her husband understood the reason for going to the prophet at certain times. Um, that family was obviously their life had some worship experiences in it because her husband didn't understand why do you need to go to the prophet today when it's not a feast day when it's not a Sabbath day and she didn't tell him behind the, the you know what was behind the story this is a religious family this is a a God-fearing family, a faithful family, and this woman was willing to take um, the faith that God had given to her and, and, and use it by love in serving others. The second thing I see is a satisfied faith. Elisha wanted to reward her. Elisha wanted to give her something for what she had given him, and she, uh, she basically... 
That the, the, if you read it in some different translations, it kind of comes out in those translations. Um, but, but, but when Gehazi asked her, what can I, you know, the prophet wants to know what he can do for you. Do you want him to mention your name to a king or, or, or to a captain of the host? Is there anything that we can do to serve you because you have served us? And, and she responded with just a simple sentence, I dwell among my people. Some of the other translations make that a little bit easier to understand. But what she basically said, I have all I need. I'm well taken care of. I have my needs. I'm satisfied. I'm contented um, with what I have. Um, I, I, her trust was in God, obviously. She, she was surrounded by her family. Her needs were being met. She was a notable woman, a wealthy woman, a great woman, as the King James Version said. And she was satisfied simply to be able to serve the prophet of God. I don't want anything in return. You don't owe me anything. I'm not asking you for anything. I count it a joy and a privilege just to be able to serve you. So a satisfied faith. A satisfied faith. She was contented. Reminded me of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 11. He said, I've, I've learned, um, I, I'm not speaking in respect that I want anything or that I need anything. I've just learned that whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, um, Paul said, A godliness with contentment. Is great gain. So her faith was content. She wasn't looking for anything. She wasn't looking for any kind of earthly reward. Um, she was satisfied with what God had given to her, and her and her faith. She was content in what she already had uh, in in God and in in what God had provided for her. Now, I, I've said this often. I say it here. I say it. I remind myself of this often because I need to learn. I need to learn how to be more content in my life. And I will say that I'm probably as contented as I've ever been um, with every part of my life. There's nothing that I really, um, there's nothing that I need. And there's not anything that I can tell you that I'm really just wanting right now in my life. I'm learning to be content. But this is what I remind myself often. I'm the richest man in the world. The wealthiest man in all of this world is the man who is content with what he already has. I mean, if the man is content with what he already has, what, how can you make him richer? How can you make him more wealthy when he has found anything and everything um, that his soul desires, that his soul craves, or that his soul um, even needs? So she had a serving faith. She had a satisfied faith. Now, I'm going to use a word here, and uh, I looked for some other words, never could find them, and I wasn't going to give up the S's at this point because everything else came together with S. So, but it is a Bible word. And um, I, made, I made Webster's Dictionary um, sound it out for me two or three times this morning because we don't use the word often. Um, she had a suckered faith. Now that word just means, we don't use that word often, but it is a Bible word. It just means um, to help or to aid. Now, this woman was serving faithfully. She was satisfied with what she had. But... Elisha, as a man of God, wanted to honor her, wanted to reward her for her service and for, her, for the fact that she was just content with what she had. And so um, Elisha's desire, I believe, was God's desire because God answered the, 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 prophecy, the prophecy, the promise that Elisha made her. But apparently this woman had abandoned all hope for having a child. Her, man, her, her husband was up in age. She had no children. 
So apparently she had not even, she had not even, she had surrendered herself to the will of God. And, and understood that I will probably never have a child. So she, let that, she laid that desire of her heart to the side. And had essentially, I believe, um, lost all hope for ever having a child. Therefore, she just stopped asking for one. And, and so, um, completely surrendered to God's will, she would not even ask for what was covered way down deep in her heart. Until Elisha dredged it all back up, brought it to the surface again, and said, about this time next year, um, you'll have a child. Now that was, can you imagine that, that unbelievable promise that was given to her? Can you imagine her joy in receiving that promise? Can, can, you, can you imagine this, that the promise was given, and for the next, I don't know how many months, um, there was anticipation, and then all of a sudden she realized that she was pregnant, and the, and the joy of the pregnancy, and then the fulfillment of the promise and the giving of a son. Can you imagine how much that helped her faith grow even more? I mean, somebody that had abandoned hope for a child, but now has a child um, to cradle in her arms and to raise up. Um, if she had faith before, I can guarantee you that her faith had been strengthened in every, in every sense of the word um, by that precious gift that God had given her that she had not even asked him for. Maybe she did for years, but she had stopped asking. Maybe God knew that that was the, des I know that God knew the desire of her heart because he knows our thoughts and intents. But God gave her what she was not even willing to ask for anymore, uh, simply to honor her and reward her faith. And, um, and I, I believe that probably helped her faith grow exponentially. She was helped and she was aided in the faith that she already had. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 um, says that it's impossible to please God without faith for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So God rewarded this lady for her serving faith, for her satisfied faith by helping her faith grow um, even more in the gift of a child. She had sufficient faith. Now this is where you get to the heart of the story. The, the heart of what jumped off of the pages at me, I'm amazed at how composed she was in tragedy. I'm amazed at how composed that she was in the loss of her only son. Obviously, he had grown up and, and was um, of age to, father, um, to, to, to um, follow his father into the fields um, and still young enough to sit on his mom's lap. Of course, if I wanted to sit in my mama's lap right now, she'd, she'd welcome me with open arms. And, and um, I don't think you ever outgrow mama's lap. Um, but, but this lady, her son died. And, and the composure that, sh that she had in his death was that she took him up to the prophet's room, laid him on a bed, went back down and asked her husband to gather, um, to gather what she needed so that she could make a journey to see the prophet of God. She didn't even tell her husband what was going on in their life and in their home at that time. She was just completely composed. Why? I think she had all the confidence in the world that God was able to raise her son from the dead. And that God, in fact, would raise her son from the dead. Because that was a promise that she didn't ask for that God had given to her. And she knew that the prophet of God had given to her that promise as an instrument of God. And, and um, her confidence in Elisha 
was confidence that he was God's man. It was an outward evidence of an inward trust that God had a plan and a purpose for her life that including that included her having a son that she didn't necessarily ask him for. Her faith was sufficient to get her through this tragedy. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, a favorite passage of mine. And you know that this, the context of this is Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Um, he called it a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him, and he, and he besought the Lord. That means he begged the Lord three times to take it away from him, and God would not take it away. Um, and he said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. How do you tap into grace? By faith. You tap into grace by faith. And she had sufficient faith to give her the grace that she needed um, to pass through this tragedy, to pass through this trial. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. When, who you run to when your world is falling apart tells you where your dependency and your sufficiency comes from. Who you run to when, you, when your world is falling apart will tell you where your dependency and where your sufficiency comes from. Now, what does she do? She ran to God's man. She ran to the one that she knew was a representative of God. She ran to the one who had given her the initial promise of this son that she had stopped asking for. So it's obvious that her faith was sufficient. She had what she needed to get to who she needed to get to. Um, she had sufficient faith. Who do we run to when our world's falling apart? Where do we find our help in our, in our tragic situations? Um, do we run to the Lord in prayer? Do we run to the cross? Do we run to Jesus? Do we run to his word? Do we run to his worship? Um, this lady had a, had a sufficient faith. Her faith had grown in the gift of this son, and now her faith is sufficient to sustain her in the death of her son. But she also had a soul-wrenched faith. If you look at verse 27 and 28, um, she, even though she said it is well, even though she told her husband it shall be well, even though she told Gehazi the prophet that it is well, when she got to Elisha, she fell apart. When she got to Elisha, she caught him by his feet, literally fell at his feet, and to the point that Gehazi was fixing to drag her off of him. And, and Elisha said, leave her alone. Don't you see that her soul is vexed? It is a soul-wrenching faith. She hadn't abandoned hope, but she didn't understand what was happening to her in this moment. This is just raw emotion pouring out. By the way, God, God knows our heart. He knows what we believe. He knows where our trust is. He knows where our faith is. He also knows our frame. He knows what we're made of. The Bible says he was touched with all of the feeling of our infirmities when all points tempted like we are yet without sin. And so he knows how we feel. And um, if you read the Psalms, you'll see this come out in the Psalms often. Some of the things that people said to God... Some of the railings that come out, you wonder how in the world God even permitted that. It's because God knows what we're made of. And, and, the, and that, that expression of our soul, um, that, that emotional release, that's all this woman is doing. She is releasing everything that she feels. That doesn't mean she's lost faith. It doesn't mean that her faith is in jeopardy. It just means that her faith is being wrung out right now. 
that, that her soul is being wrenched to, conti- to continue to believe that God could raise that child, would raise that child um, from the dead. Her faith is being tested and tried at a level that she had never known before, but that she had probably always feared. That the gift that God had given to her, the most precious gift that God had given to her, was, was being taken away. Now, um, when I started studying this and it all started coming together, um, Sister Debbie mentioned James and Sarah this morning, and I probably won't say this in the second service if they're here, but the, their faith has inspired people across this country, maybe across the world. I don't know who all has been reading it, but, man, every every message that they've posted on Facebook has been one of faith. They don't understand. But even though they have that same kind of faith that we've already talked about, they're at a place right now where their soul is being wrenched. Others have walked that path too. Their soul is being wrung out. They ain't lost their faith. But they need some time space to verbalize what they feel. And I pray that they're finding everybody I've made. In fact, I, I text them because they said they were, they, you know, they said they were going to try to be back in church today. And I messaged her and I said, I'm going to tell you the text that I'm going to use and I want you to go read it. Because if it's too hard for you, it's okay. If it's too hard for you to come back today, it's okay. I know their soul is being wrung out right now. And you know there's a part of them that they don't want anybody to see their moments of weakness. And we all get like that. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But then we also all have those moments where we just need to go apart. And where we just need to say, God, you know what I'm feeling. It's, read the Psalms. It's woven all through the Psalms where people just came to God with their heart being wrenched, not understanding what was going on and why it was going on. And, and then I think Psalm 77, Asaph said, until I went to the house of the Lord. And then I was okay. I brought my soul back to its foundation. I brought it back to the rock that I've always stood on. And, and my feelings, notwithstanding, my faith still held strong. The Apostle Paul knew all about tragedies and trials. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, he said, We're troubled on every side, but not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Troubled, but not distressed. We are, we are perplexed but not despairing. We don't understand what's going on, but it is not a place of hopelessness for us. And then that ninth verse says that we are persecuted, but even in the persecution we know that we are not forsaken by God. We are cast down, but we know that we are not being destroyed. He went on to say that he that every day for him was was every every day that he felt like he was dying because of his faith in Christ, he felt like he was magnifying Christ um, before the world. 
That was her faith. That's James and Sarah's faith. The fact of the matter is, is that's been all of our faith at some point in our life. There ain't a person in this room that hadn't gone through a season where your soul has been wrenched. Totally different situations and circumstances many times. But there's not one of us in this room that has not had to pass through some kind of fiery trial where our faith was tested, where our confidence in God and God's goodness and God's love for us was called into question, where we had this feeling that God had abandoned us. We've all been at that place before. In fact, Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, that we, that we ought not to think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. It's not a strange thing. It's happened to all the people of faith. It happens to all the people of faith. Um, that's why James and James wrote in the first chapter of James and, and, and the Apostle Paul wrote, I believe in uh, Romans chapter 5, um, that the trying of our faith, that when our faith is when, is when it's wrenched, when it's wrung out, when it's vexed like this woman was vexed, that we can count it all joy because we know that the trying of our faith works in us patience or perseverance and that, that patience and perseverance pushes us on towards perfection. It purifies our faith. It's not sent. It's not given to destroy our faith. It's given um, to strengthen our faith and to purify our faith. There will be seasons in all of our life where our faith is pressed through the fire. Where our soul will be wrenched by what we endure. But just like I believe that, that, the, that the suckering of our faith, the helping or the aiding of our faith, when God blesses us and gives us something that we didn't ask for and our soul is elevated, our faith is elevated, we have more confidence in Him um, because we've seen His great power at work in our life. Just like the, the suckering of our faith grows us up, I believe the soul wrenching of our faith pushes our faith deeper and to the sovereignty and the goodness of God. It puts our roots deep. We understand that that is the only solid foundation that we have. And then there's a soulist faith. That, that, that word just means to comfort. Now, I, I can't. This confuses me, and maybe I'll dig it out. I didn't, I, I didn't want to focus at all on Elisha because this woman is the hero of this story. I mean, she is the one whose faith is on remarkable display to us. I don't know why Elisha did all that he did. I don't understand the mouth-to-mouth, eye-to-eye, hand-to-hand. I don't understand any of that. I don't know why the child sneezed seven times. I'm not going to tell you I do. Maybe, it's, maybe there's something there. Maybe it's just the, the, the recorder of the story telling us all the details that he saw. Maybe there's nothing spiritual in that for us. It's just a matter of record. I don't know. But this is what, this is what I do know, is that Elisha's heart hurt for her and with her. And he was absolutely, he was full of compassion and he was absolutely committed to seeing God do something miraculous in the life of that child. He did not give up. The Bible said he stretched himself out. Um, he, he, he sent Gehazi to lay his staff on the, on the face. That, that, 
I didn't do anything. He went into the room himself, shut the door behind him, laid himself, um, perhaps gave mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, did whatever he could do, and then, and then walked out and, and, and went to and fro and came back again. So what, what, what do you see in that? I see that, that Elisha was compassionate and absolutely committed to seeing God move in her life, in that woman's life because of her faith. And raise her son from the dead. Now can you imagine how the change that happened in her when he walked out of that room and said, go take up your son. And when she walked in that room and found a son not dead but very much alive. That's a solaced faith. That is a comforted faith. That is, um, that is faith's reward. Can you imagine her ever being more grateful than she was in that moment? In fact, I think she's probably more grateful in that moment than she was in the birth of her son. She was more grateful for the resurrection than she was the birth of her child. Now, that's the final reward of all of our faith. Everything that we've ever endured as Christians... On, on the day that the trumpet sounds and our bodies come forth out of those graves, along with the bodies of all of those that we love, our faith will be completely comforted and our joy will be completely full. In fact, if you read Romans chapter 8, the Bible says all of creation is waiting for that moment when the sons of God receive their resurrected bodies. Um, that's when all of our faith receives the reward of that faith, which is the resurrection of our bodies, the resurrection of, mor- of a mortal body to, immor- to an immortal body, the resurrection of a corrupted body, a corruptible body to an incorruptible body. Um, death loses its power in the promise of resurrection. Death loses its power in the promise of resurrection. That's why we can go to a graveside and, and leave that graveside with hope in our heart. That's why we can bury those that we love and say, it's well with my soul. Because we know and believe in a sure and certain hope that Jesus has promised a resurrection for all who believe. We will conquer the grave, as will all of those who trust Christ. One more point. And I got to read a little bit more scripture to get this point. I, this story intrigued me, and um, and it intrigued me again when I started looking um, ahead in the text and saw that she she comes up again. I I try to read through these things several times, and so I got to chapter eight, and I'm like, wait a minute, this is the same lady. Look at chapter eight, verse one. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go thou and thine household and sojourn. Wheresoever thou canst sojourn, for the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven days. So Elisha is telling this woman, you're going to have to leave your home um, because God's sending a famine upon this land. It was a judgment, the same kind of judgment that happened when Elijah was there and it didn't rain for three and a half years, that God is bringing judgment again because of the disobedience of his people. So he tells this woman, because you've been so good to me and, and because your faith has been so remarkable and so strong, Here's what I want you to do. You, you, you need to go find another place to live for seven years. 
So the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. That's what faith does, isn't it? Faith obeys. Faith says, God said it and I believe it. That settles it. Here I go. She arose and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land, that that she had left behind. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. And it came to pass as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life that behold the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. Now, and it's a cool story. Elisha had asked her before she ever had a son, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to reward you? You want me to talk to the king for you? Or you want me to talk to one of the king's officers for you? And she said, no, that's well with me. I'm, I've got all that I need. And now after having to leave her home for seven years, I don't, her husband's not mentioned anymore. Maybe he's gone. Maybe it's just her and her son now. Maybe she had walked away from everything. I don't know. We don't have that part of the story. Maybe she had walked away from everything just to walk in obedience to God. And now that, that she said she didn't need early on in life, she needs. She needs to speak to a king. She needs, to, she needs to somebody to act on her behalf to give back to her what she had left behind. And, 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 and now the king is looking for a story about Elisha. And lo and behold, the woman walks up with the son that had been resurrected. And the king, so amazed by all that had gone on, said, I'm going to give you one of my men. I'm going to appoint you an officer. And he'll make sure you get back everything that you left behind. It was a sight-filled faith. She trusted. She obeyed. She was rewarded along with her son with restoration of everything that she had ever left behind to walk in obedience to God. That sounds like heaven to me. Listen, we won't ever give up anything on this earth. We won't ever give up anything on this earth that God won't give it back to us a hundredfold on the other side. That God won't give it back to us in full. Our faith, we, we just got to walk by faith through this world. But one day our faith is going to become sight. The Bible says our, our, uh, our eyes have never seen, our ears have never heard, our hearts have never imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And those that love him walk by faith. Sister Pam comes this morning. I just want to ask you, is it well with your soul? It, it can't be well with your soul if you don't have faith. It will never be well with your soul if you don't have faith. And I would submit to you that, that at some point in our life, we're going to be at every one of those levels or phases of faith, probably multiple times. 
Um, now, we can serve the Lord every day. We can have serving faith every day. We can live a contented faith every day. But there are going to be times when our faith needs to be grown, that God does something great in our life and, and, and remarkable in our life so that we understand that He's for us, not against us, and our faith grows in those times. There's also going to be those times where, um, where we, we have to go through trials. We have to go through um, soul wrenchings where we find out whether or not our faith is going to be sufficient to push us through that season. Um, but we always have the promise that if we continue to believe that God is a rewarder of those um, who have faith and who diligently seek Him, and He'll give us the solace, the comfort that we need, and one day all, the, all that our heart ever longed for, all that our soul ever dreamed about, will become sight for us. Let's stand. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I pray that we'd remember this woman's remarkable faith in all these different seasons of her life. I know that she gave her, she never gave up. She she did what she could, um, and I pray that God you'd help us to use her life as an example for how we live our life. Take us through those seasons of soul-wrenching and give us all that we need to make it and to receive all that you've promised us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have decided